Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Computomics podcast. Our guest today has extensive experience in geographical information systems, regional planning and international cooperation on urban issues. For more than 10 years, he led the food security, agriculture and rural development work at the BMZ, that's the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development. This includes serving as the Deputy Director General and Commissioner for the One World No Hunger Initiative. In 2020, he joined the Crop Trust as Executive Director. Welcome, Stefan Schmitz. Hello. Pleasure. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine, Stefan. Great to have you with us. Um, we like to start out with a bit of an icebreaker. And I was wondering, since you are the Executive Director of the Crop Trust, what is something you've collected or are still collecting outside of your work? Actually, my my big uh, my big hobby, my big passion is photography. So mm -hmm. I I collect photos. That is what I do. I I collect it by taking pictures and uh, job related and and beyond. So that is um, yeah, that is where I spend uh, not not most of my time outside job, but a lot of a lot of time on yeah. That's lovely. Do you have one motive, one one picture that's very important maybe for you or something that sticks in your mind now that I that we talk about it, something that comes to your mind that you'd like to share? I am I'm interested in particular in, you know, urban issues and also in rural issues and try to to get the essence of what makes things urban and what makes things rural. And that is a, that kind of a guiding idea along what I what what, what I do. And I, I, I do my my best to to get <laughs> to get something out of it. <laughs> that sounds lovely. I love architectural photography as well uh, as as natural landscapes. And there is it's very interesting sometimes to compare these two supposedly very different landscapes and and what they might share as well. Maybe maybe we can we can get one of your pictures for the show notes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> as a <Absolutely>. special <laughs> treat. <laughs> That one would be urban and one rural. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, to, to jump into your work, as I said in the intro, you're the executive director of the Crop Trust. What is the Crop Trust for our listeners? The, the, crop, the crop Trust is an international, independent, legally independent organization uh, supporting seed banks or gene banks all around the world in conserving the plant genetic resources and making those crop diversity conserved um, available for use for breeders for farmers uh, for researchers by the turn of the millennium at the latest there was a growing awareness that the diversity of our crops around the world is crucial for the for survival of mankind and for global food security. There are hundreds of thousands of different species and varieties of crops, ancient land races, modern cultivars, neglected and underutilized crops. However, the growing importance of this diversity is matched by its growing threat. Mm -hmm. And so in 2001, the, and that is quite an important point here, that was a milestone in the 
prehistory of the crop trust. In 2001, the so-called International Treaty on Plant Genetic Resources for Food and Agriculture was adopted by the members of the FAO, the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations in Rome. And it entered into force in 2004. This plant treaty is an extremely important multilateral agreement and provides the international framework for, among other things, the protection and conservation of crop diversity and the unhindered free exchange of seeds around the world. Without that, breeding new crops, new varieties wouldn't be possible. And this major political breakthrough in 2004 paved the way for the establishment of the Global Crop Diversity Trust or Crop Trust for short. Can I, if I can just jump in here uh, real quick, you said it's, it was a, it was a change, a breaking point. It enabled this free exchange. Yes. Uh, how was it before? Was there, were there any, like, what were the issues that someone who wanted to get certain seeds or exchange seeds faced before that treaty? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that already happened before. Roughly a hundred years ago, people start to realize how important it is to conserve um, those crop diversity and make it available for, for use. Um, that was a good idea. Then, and then people all over the world, countries started to work on this. However, then there was a growing concern that in particular uh, developing countries, countries of the global south, are not able to provide adequate funding for those seed banks, for those gene banks on their own. So there was a growing risk that all that was, that was collected over the decades got lost, got rotten and, uh, and would disappear without proper funding. And to make sure that it's everything, not just in the global north, but all in the south is properly conserved and made available. That gave this, this idea, this concern gave then rise to the, to, to the idea of the, of the crop trust then under the, under the treaty. That mm -hmm. is a bit of the, of the history behind. Yeah, it's, I think it's super fascinating because, uh, again, it's almost like a, a plant that grows, right? You go from the idea of or just even the realization, oh, this is probably something we should be thinking about. This is something that is important uh, to actually creating an, an infrastructure, creating awareness and giving funding to that infrastructure so it actually sustains. Yeah, yeah ab absolutely right. And I'm quite glad to, to see that this political debate on general biodiversity is becoming now more important, fortunately, I, I have to say now. Um, and it's desperately needed that the world that everybody uh, is aware of the growing uh, threat to general biodiversity on, on, on Earth. Crop diversity, so the diversity of our, you know, cultural landscape and mm -hmm. of our, you know, of the of the crops and the, of everything we eat. This diversity is an important part of that general biodiversity on Earth, which is sometimes neglected. It is this crop diversity is a raw material 
for the development of new improved crop varieties. Mm-hmm. You have to see until about uh, 12,000 years ago, uh, people all over the world were hunters and gatherers. At that point, they began to settle down and practice agriculture. Since then, they have made use of nature's diversity. For example, they bred the first crops from the wild archetypes of wheat, maize, Mm -hmm. and potatoes. And then in the course of time, more and more domesticated crop varieties could be crossed with each other, or domesticated varieties were crossed with their wild relatives. So very important was the fact that people often left their homes and looked for new places to live. Mm-hmm. When they did so, they took their cultivated seeds with them and spread it all over the world. And, well, this led to a constant mix of genetic traits across the globe. The results was a diversity in which the varieties that developed in each place in the world were those that suited the natural conditions there. Mm-hmm. For example, the specific soil conditions, temperature, and this diversity also made it possible for crops to win the constant race against new pests and plant diseases. And that is what we have now, thousands and thousands of, uh, of, uh, of crops on earth, which are all very well adapted to local circumstances and to changing circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you already said that your basic or one of the basic aspects of your mission at the Crop Trust is conserving plant genetic resources, right? Conserving them against the dangers that are out there. Some of them you already mentioned, like pests. Uh, I remember in, I think, the our anniversary episode, we talked about the fact that with banana, we're actually only getting the second most well-tasting kind of banana because the first one was wiped out by a pest. Um, so how do you actually how does that conserving work if we if can you take us into the vault like how do you actually ensure that the seeds that are within the vault are safe and secure most most crops are easily conserved by well freezing uh, their seeds at minus uh, 18 degrees so that is quite simple. So like the freezer you have at homes, you have to, to look at uh, seed banks or gene banks as first and foremost as big freezers where you can store them uh, for a very long time. And um, researchers and breeders, um, thanks to the better and better um, information systems that are available, know where on earth which collections which varieties are conserved so they can ask those uh, uh, send a message and ask for a duplication of those uh, conserved seeds and so they have access and they can use those genetic traits to work on uh, on new varieties and in modern plant breeding you sometimes need 50, even more, even sometimes 100 different traits, bring it together, breed it, cross it, make a try and error. And it takes sometimes years t- 
till you come up with a new variety that then is better adapted to changing climate, uh, giving higher yields, more resource efficient, more resistant to pests and diseases or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is the ongoing uh, process. This now becomes even more important in times of climate change because this natural process that happened in history, sometimes over, over centuries long, now uh, is extremely accelerated. Mm -hmm. yeah, we have to expect that current crop varieties, take for example, uh, coffee, talk coffee as an example, Current uh, coffee varieties, and that is mainly the so-called Robusta and Arabica, will not be able to grow in 20, 30 years from now uh, on those locations they are right now. Already today, uh, we see that the coffee production is, the, yeah, the, the fields are moving the plantation mm -hmm. away from the equator, north and south, and going higher up into the mountains. But these movements confront the coffee growers, the plants, the coffee plants, uh, with other natural conditions. Mm -hmm. And so as this process continues on in a few years' time, coffee growers need to think about changing the coffee varieties they use. Fortunately, there are Altogether, 125 coffee varieties on Earth, we know. We mm -hmm. only use those two ones. The 123 currently are completely neglected. They are underutilized. But at least they are securely stored in a place. Many of them, for example, in a specialized seed banks uh, outside of the city of San Jose in Costa Rica. Yeah, this is one of our partners we cooperate with, we provide funding for, to make sure that these 123 underutilized crop species will be or can be made available for later use in 10 years, in 20 years, or whenever. But we are sure we keep them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this with the coffee I gave is just one typical example. There is a huge variety in theory. And as all those 25, uh, 125 uh, coffee um, varieties were available they years ago they they were used they were planted in in fields and plantations but over the years in this process of more and more industrialization mm -hmm. of agriculture the market more and more focused on those two um, varieties no more need for the other 123 mm -hmm. and this also true for almost all crops on earth, yeah? We know about one, uh, more than 100,000 uh, rice varieties. We know of more than 100,000 wheat varieties, more than 1,000 potato varieties, and so on. But in the field today, we only use a few of them. But the use is challenged by climate change, and the challenges are rising. So we need to make sure that we conserve the rest, which 
history brought up mm -hmm. over the last uh, 12,000 years, but no longer used these days, that we keep it and have it ready for further breeding purposes, either already now or in the near future. And that is the background, that is the purpose of, uh, of, uh, of the crop trust. Of the crop trust, for sure. You, that totally makes sense also to have a system that is on the one hand localized, like you mentioned, the San Jose seed bank that holds all those uh, coffee varieties, um, but then also to have this overall structure that gives the funding, that makes sure the information is available, what's where, um, and also maybe have a centralized storing as well. Because one thing that came up as well is we have seed banks and we have the seed vault. Could you go into the difference between the two or the relationship between the two? Yeah, sure. There is some, some, uh, sometimes a bit con, conf, uh, confusion about it. So the usual uh, term we use is a term of a seed bank or a, uh, or a gene bank. So there are more than 1,700 around the globe, all, all registered at the uh, Food and Agricultural Organization, the F, uh, FAO. So almost every country on earth has its own so-called national uh, gene bank. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in Germany, for example, it's the IPK. It's the Institute for uh, Pflanzengenetik und Kulturpflanzenforschung in, uh, in Gattersleben near Quedlinburg. Mm -hmm. um, so every country has one, at least one national gene bank. But beyond that, there are many other, often smaller ones, uh, Uh, for, as a, a result of a local initiative or, or something like that. But altogether, um, more than 1,700. 18 of those seed banks or gene banks do have a special status. They are recognized that extreme, as extremely important for uh, the future of global food supply and they are granted international status by the uh, by the FAO. So these are the national and international um, seed banks or gene banks on the one hand. And on the other hand, we are talking about this, what you already mentioned, the seed vault. And this is, yeah, from our perspective, the one and only the Svalbard Global Seed Vault. This is a gene bank of a special kind. It is a global seed repository on Spitzbergen, the largest island on the Svalbard archipelago belonging to Norway in the Arctic Ocean, about uh, halfway between mainland Norway and the North Pole. This seed vault opened in uh, February 2008 and is about to celebrate its uh, 15th year anniversary now in coming February. Svalbard was chosen for several reasons. Its cold climate and permafrost make the area a perfect location for underground cold storage. The surrounding sandstone is stable for building and is low in radiation. In terms of security, Svalbard scores high marks compared to the locations of many other gene banks in the world. And the seed vault is located in extraordinary 120 meters into the rock, Oof. ensuring that the seed <laughs> rooms will remain naturally frozen, even in an event of failure of the mechanical mm -hmm. uh, cooling system 
and rising external air temperatures due to climate change. This specific repository, this vault, this specific gene bank is for up to five point, uh, for, sorry, for up to 4.5 million seed sample uh, represents a groundbreaking international project that was initiated largely and with great commitment by the Norwegian government and is now being implemented. So in a close cooperation between the Norwegians, the Nordic Resource Center, Genetic Resource Center, Norgen, uh, and the Crop Trust. So we are member of the Crop Trust is member of this uh, tripartite uh, partnership. So in a nutshell, while other gene banks are actually always directly linked to research and breeding institutions that multiply and use the stored material for their own purposes. The Swabat Global Seed Vault serves exclusively for the safekeeping of previously duplicated seeds. The national and international seed banks, those I mentioned before, supply the seed to be stored here, but it remains their property. In the event of a disaster, these duplicates can be redelivered and rebred on behalf of the owner. Perfect. Um, I think that that was really good to go into because there there are some <laughs> some major differences between the two, and the crop trust obviously is kind of the umbrella organization that that covers all of them. The the one seed vault, the Svalbard seed vault as well as the international partners, I guess, uh, the the seed banks you mentioned, uh, the over 1,000 a thousand seed banks yeah, that we 1, have. 1,700, yeah. Oh, even <laughs> almost 2,000. <laughs> um, that is that is quite a lot. Um, I'm sure there are challenges in keeping uh, keeping this going as well. What, what would you say are the main challenges in your work at the Crop Trust? Um, well, the, the main challenge is not enough money. To be, to be very blunt on this. <laughs> it's good um, to be blunt about that. that. Is, get, get right down yes. to it. <laughs> no, um, of course, to, full, to fulfill our mandate completely, um, we, uh, according to our latest estimates, we, uh, we require um, an, an, an asset, an endowment value of uh, around 850 million uh, US dollar. That would um, uh, translate into an annual return on investment, an annual income that is necessary to provide enough funding to all those important uh, gene banks holding unique and valuable collections uh, in the global south um, uh, all, all over. So um, we are not yet there. Uh, currently, uh, the market value of the endowment is about 300 million US. So there is at least mm -hmm. a funding gap of, of 500 million in our assets. So that we can fulfill our mandate completely. So one of the main um, main purposes is further fundraising. We we are doing and we um, we try to raise public awareness uh, of the uh, of the importance of those uh, plant genetic uh, resources. Um, 
we provide a lot of uh, technical uh, support, uh, do capacity development for, for staff working in, in those uh, gmail. So there are a lot of challenges. For first and foremost, I would say there is the funding issue, but there are technical issues uh, as well. So capacity development is, is only is always uh, something and always uh, we, we work hard on. And of growing importance is uh, the building up of a global information system to make sure that everybody interested in those resources um, uh, knows where he can find uh, uh, what seeds, uh, what crops, uh, he needs for for research or uh, or for breeding, and we are intensively working on on these um, information systems that are then available on on the internet and open to um, to interested parties. Mm -hmm. So, if you're you said you're currently working on that, extending that, or how does one, let's say, one would be interested in that? How does one currently gain that information? How does it currently work? Well, yeah, but we are we are still far, far away from having uh, all those uh, more than two million um, uh, seed samples that are conserved somewhere around sort of properly um, put uh, documented um, and properly um, uh, put into those. Uh, archives and also digital archives and, and make it uh, available. It is kind of a, working with a, with a huge national library and where you start from zero, you have millions of books. Yeah, and mm -hmm. now you start working on a catalog that is available, not just only in on cards, but also also uh, in, in digital form. Yeah, so that does not just mean to 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 write down two million cards. You need to know about the exact content, yeah, of of the location, of the history, of the um, uh, genotypic and phenotypic uh, properties of what is stored. So, like in a in a normal library, you're giving perhaps an executive summary of of the book. There, you also need to provide what we call passport data. And that you can imagine is a lot, a lot of work. <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm sure you need a lot of, uh, is this something that you, you use volunteer work uh, for as well? Um, it, that, is, that is fully, uh, fully decentralized. We mm -hmm. encourage uh, gene banks to do it on their own. We provide capacity development. We give support, sometimes financial support for those who are not able to do it. Uh, but we are more or less the managers and coordinators of, mm -hmm. of that work that is fully decentralized. No, we, we do not um, we we do not have in our offices sitting uh, 10, 10 or more interns. <laughs> that would be a gargantuan <laughs> task for them as well. But I'm, I'm sure or I yeah. could imagine that maybe your your project partners uh, on the national level or in the various locations around the globe uh, would probably work with volunteers there as well, because it is a huge task like you've <laughs> demonstrated quite quite well um maybe if we if we move to the more broader view you were also a participant at cop 27 at the united nations climate change conference uh, because 
like you've mentioned before, uh, um, it is something that impacts the seed vaults, seed banks as well, or that shows how important they are. Climate change puts huge pressures on on um, all of us and on that uh, field, especially. What would you say, what are your key takeaways from the the Sharm el-Sheikh conference, the yeah. COP27? Yeah, well, I, I was quite happy to see that agriculture, um, it on a very long uh, on a very long and windy way now is gaining uh, you know more and more important status within the climate debate yeah the raise the, the profiles while uh, years back hardly anybody at climate uh, conferences uh, recognized agriculture as Im as important agriculture is important on the one hand, agriculture is suffering a lot uh, under climate change. Agriculture needs to adapt to climate change very quickly mm -hmm. on the one hand. And on the other hand, um, agriculture also um, adds to the overall human uh, carbon, uh, carbon footprint in a considerable way. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, as a crop trust, do our, our best to provide means to agriculture adapt to climate change and also agriculture to be able to use, uh, to reduce uh, its, carbon, its carbon footprints, both through breeding new varieties. We provide one of the most important uh, prerequisites for that. And of course, we are happy and to glad to see that uh, there is a growing um, awareness of the importance of crop diversity for these purposes on, on international level of, uh, of our, on, on level of the, of the COP, um, of the conference of party negotiations and, and events, the latest one in Sharm el-Sheikh, as you mentioned, but also um, at other international fora, uh, for example, a few weeks uh, later, shortly before Christmas, there was this um, conference of parties of the um, uh, Biodiversity Convention that was held mm -hmm. in, in Montreal, likewise important from our perspective. And um, there also we, um, uh, we, we support the, I, the idea, the concept, the philosophy of agriculture and in, princi in, in principle the, um, the, the crop diversity as a very important element very important uh, element within this triangle of food biodiversity and uh, climate change which uh, i regard as uh, those three among the most important key challenges of 21st century i completely concur <laughs> um and uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think we could be talking for at least another half hour, if not more. Um, we have come to the end of our time together. And I'd like to thank you, Stefan, for for giving us such great insight into the work of the Crop Trust, uh, how you manage to coordinate and support both financially and uh, with your organization over 
1,700 seed banks worldwide. Also with the seed vault contributing to the security of conserving biodiversity, conserving uh, gene information, um, and again, contributing to that key triangle that you just mentioned of, of food, biodiversity, and, and climate change. We will be linking, obviously, to the Crop Trust and all resources uh, or facts that you mentioned in our show notes. So to our listeners out there, please feel free to drop by computomics.com to check out some links uh, and hopefully also see two of Stefan's own <laughs> photographs uh, showing us urban landscape and uh, agricultural or natural landscapes next to each other. Thank you very much, Anna. It was a great pleasure talking to you. You too. And uh, hope to have you back with us at some point. And then obviously also our listeners for our next episode of the Computomics podcast. <laughs>